Okay, everybody, welcome to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisiloff. I'm editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Mokaya, who's the lead writer. We sent out a new edition of the newsletter today and had a lot of good stuff in there. The headline from this week was, are we at the start of a new roaring 20s? And there was a quote from Morgan Stanley's head of investment banking suggesting that we may be starting back to a roaring 20s here. Thematically, we're definitely seeing the economy start to pick up, things normalizing from where they were during the pandemic. And the question really is, what is the world going to look like now that we're exiting the pandemic phase? And one potential vision of the future is to go back into this roaring 20s, booming economy mode. It's one possibility. I'm not sure that I really buy that we're going into a roaring 20s, but it's one thing that could potentially happen. Mukai, what do you think? I mean, I've had that phrase a couple of times this past couple of weeks and think we caught it in one of some other, I can't remember which transcript, but the same theme of people thinking that there will be a rolling 20s ahead. It would be interesting to see, but as you saw, like travel is picking up pretty well. I think across board, a lot of the restaurants travel, they're picking up pretty well. But then I think there is also the awareness that a lot of small businesses are still being affected a lot. So I'm not so sure, like you would say there would be a rolling 20s ahead, but we sure do hope that that's the case. But a rolling 20s also may be followed by a, a tough 30s. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I've been struggling with thinking about is it's it's pretty foggy here what the economy is going to look like on the other side of this pandemic. Mm. And, you know, it has been wrong to bet on anything other than the bull market for the last 12 years. And so there's a temptation to bet that we're just going into a continuation of that. But at the same time, it does seem like there's signs that inflation is picking up. There's monetary policy and fiscal policy is definitely going to get have to get tighter here, one would think. And so those would suggest that there's maybe more slowness than roaring 20s ahead. I have a question yeah. for you. So I was, I mean, one of the things that you pick up also the, the past couple of weeks and even now is that the consumer is pretty strong in terms of yeah. they've done a lot of savings. There's still a lot of stimulus coming in. Don't you think that that would be provide a great impetus for like a rolling 20s if that were to happen then? Yeah. So, I mean, I've thought a lot during the pandemic period about how there are some analogies to the World War II period and the post-World War II period. Because in World War II, the economy was shut down to the extent that we weren't producing consumer goods, we were just producing military goods. And there was this huge influx of cash to consumers. And then once the economy opened back up in 46, you know, late 45 and 46, you really just got a lot of inflation out of it. You got a lot of inflation. And that was the, the reconversion economy led to inflation. But, you know, the inflation experience of the 20th century has not at all been borne out in the 21st century. And so are we going to get inflation here? Is that analogous? I don't know. That's a big question mark. It is a big question mark. And I think that's top of the minds of a lot of institutional investors. I think you saw one of the quotes we pulled up of Ray Dalio, so worried about uh, inflation coming up uh, as a lot of stimulus is in the as it is in the system. So I don't know. A couple of other quotes that I saw also said something about uh, companies trying to also maybe pass on a, a few of the uh, price increases to customers. So I'm not so sure. Like inflation may be something that we haven't seen in a while, but it may be the time for it. Yeah. I mean, I think we're getting into this phase where the cyclicality that was created by the pandemic is 
normalizing and now we're getting in back into the question of structural inflation and deflation and whether we've exited this period of structural deflation that we've been living with for the last 20 years and like the financial elites that's why you know the dahlia quote was interesting i'm hearing more chatter out of the institutional side of of finance about concerns over inflation and that does not necessarily mean that inflation is is coming to fruition. It just means that that's the way that those circles are are thinking about this. Conversely, the Fed, Jerome Powell was pretty clear a couple of weeks ago that you know the Fed doesn't view us as having moved into a structural inflation environment. That they still think of this as cyclical or temporary inflation, and that our tendency is really more towards deflation. I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, uh, Europe at least is lagging behind the U.S. in terms of, I think, uh, I'm surprised though that they, they, Europe started early in terms of vaccinations and all, but I think the U.S. is uh, on the front foot on this. And I think the given the start and stop kind of measures that Europe has been instituting in, in, in regards to the vaccines, I'm not so sure if we're going to catch up soon or the U.S. will still remain ahead in that regard. Is there any other quote that you found interesting? I think along the lines of this reopening of the economy question and what the world is going to look like on the other side of COVID, we have a pretty large chunk about work from home and the way that work from home could evolve in the economy going forward. And I think the consensus is that there will probably be some additional work from home relative to the way that it used to be, but that people will still want to go into offices some and that maybe one to three days a week, people are in the office and, you know, the balance of time people are working from home. It's going to be really interesting to see how those things shake out because for businesses, there's a strong incentive to minimize the amount of time that's in an office because you can save money, you know, in terms of office space. And then also, you know, you can minimize business travel expense. And so I think a lot of businesses are moving towards that. On the other hand, what's the cost of having a distributed team? Is it harder to have culture? Is it harder to have uh, the type of progress that needs to be made when people are working from home? That's a big open question here. And within the investment world, there's potentially money to be made on one side or the other, depending on which side you fall on, on that side of the debate. But. Yeah, at least what's clear from my point of view here in Sweden, from the kind of business that we observed around, a lot of businesses are selling a lot of their office equipment. I think they had like tables and stuff. I think yesterday we went to buy one. It was actually from a company that is shutting down their office and moving to a flexible hotel where they can actually be having their conferences from now on. So it's pretty interesting to see how such shifts are happening. I think as Jamie Damon kind of pointed out there's there may be a little less need for some real estate company uh, like it's commercial real estate for some companies but then again a lot of companies also need a bit more space to house a lot of the employees that they have uh, because of the social distancing norms and all those and then as most companies may be anticipated by the end of the summer this year we'll have a lot of people back in their office or a, a few of the people back in their office i think then we'll start to get a little bit of a better picture on this. Any comments on electric cars? Yeah, I mean, I thought the electric car section was really interesting. Volkswagen CEO talking about the shift for automobiles in general. I think the two cycle shift that he's outlining, which is more than just electric cars, it's electric cars and autonomous down the line. And so you're having these big shifts within the automotive industry. And, you know, I've always been 
pretty deeply skeptical of all of these EV companies that have come to market. But as he was talking, or as I was reading those quotes, was starting to think maybe if there's enough disruption in that industry, maybe there is room for more new entrants. Do you mean like more new entrants that will be acquired by the incumbents kind of? Because that's what you hinted at. They could be acquired. They could be acquired just for brand value, potentially. You know, on the technology front, there is also a pretty surprising quote that we picked up from Honeywell last week, talking about being the leader in quantum computing, which I don't follow Honeywell that closely, but reading them say that was really surprising. I had no idea that Honeywell had even invested in quantum computing. And I really don't know that I believe them. I haven't done enough work in the quantum computing space to know whether I believe it or not. But it's interesting to me for a few different reasons. Number one, there's not a lot of ways to play quantum computing in public markets. So if that's something you really want to invest in, Honeywell may be a silent way to to invest in quantum computing. But then it's also interesting to me because like in some other, other emerging technologies, it reminds me of IBM claiming AI supremacy with Watson or, you know, Lockheed Martin has said that they're really advanced in fusion energy technology and like Neither of those programs are actually bleeding edge. And that's what this Honeywell comment sounds like to me, more of a marketing thing than reality. But if you believe that, if it's true, it's like a potential really big catalyst for Honeywell. So it's worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, definitely. It, it also struck me because quantum computing is not something you associate with an industrial manufacturer like uh, Honeywell. You would expect, my thought was like, now they're taking on Google head to head. So it would be, <laughs> but in that kind of a fight, you'd be betting more on Google, not on Honeywell. But it's it's impressive that they come out to brag a little bit about what they have in terms of the national they have. You had a couple of quotes from AMC, by the way. Do you want to talk about them? Movies being the second most popular out of home experience? Yeah. I mean, I think that's another question mark of what's the world going to look like after COVID and how much of these behaviors that we adopted during the pandemic translate to after the pandemic. And, you know, movies, the movie theater industry was clearly on the decline even going into the pandemic. And you would think that the pandemic accelerated trends of cord cutting and adoption of streaming and, you know, investment in home theaters and things like that. And so I don't know, AMC is interesting on a lot of different fronts, not least of which is the fact that Reddit is helping to fuel a rally in the, in the stock, but what's the world going to look like for movie going after this? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think today, Tuesday, uh, is when uh, GameStop is reporting their first annual reports after the, the issue, I mean, the, the Reddit rally. So it would be interesting to see what kind of revenues they post, or perhaps the Reddit army went and bought more movies on, from GameStop or something. Yeah, I was looking at each of their financial reporting, and like, I think both of these are probably dead companies in the long run, but at least GameStop has some more robust financial support than AMC does. I mean, like AMC's balance sheet is a mess. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you've looked at it, but like- uh, The one I looked at was, uh, I think, uh, is it? I think it looked at GameStop and I think they're trading at 6X expected revenues for the last financial year. So I think like the, the, the one they're going to report tomorrow. So it should be pretty interesting to see how they perform and how the Reddit army kind of reacts to that also. 
Yeah. I mean, it seems all very divorced from reality. So I'm not sure that the earnings matter one way or the other at this point. That's true. That's true. But to finish on a really cool note, I think uh, Pfizer says that they will be having 3 billion doses of vaccines ready. That's pretty impressive in terms of they've marshaled their supply chain and they're able to do that within a year and a half, I think, for the next year and a half. And then we have vaccines for almost half the world uh, from one company. That's pretty impressive, I would say. Yeah, I think that was actually a statistic to me that suggested we may be getting into an oversupply phase of this vaccine pretty quickly. My expectation has been that compliance is going to be lower than people expect. So I think like fewer people are going to end up getting the vaccine than should get the vaccine. And it's one of these typical industrial cycles. If you overproduce, then you have over inventories, prices fall, and like it's usually not good for the supply chain. Yeah, I think that's a pretty uh, nice place to wrap up today's uh, podcast. I think uh, always send us your comments at admin at theweeklytranscript.com and leave us uh, your uh, reviews, uh, leave us some reviews in your favorite podcasts. Uh, See you next week and thank you for joining us this week. Thank you.